0: Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's dot com. C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.
1: Organic life, by nature, is messy, okay? I think social media is a mirror image of organic life, and it's messy. Uh, it requires some rules of engagement, it requires codes of conduct, it requires some form of arbiter to make sure that individual privacy and rights are protected. And today, it's like uh, the Wild Wild West in its early days where everybody can take a shot at everybody else, and There is very little accountability beyond what we see in certain countries of the world where the state can have a heavy-handed approach.
0: Hello and welcome to Conversations with Lulu. I have two fantastic guests with me today. Eddie Maalouf and Kamal Dimashieh are veteran marketing and communications experts and world-class leaders. After over four decades of leading great companies in the region, they have decided to form Tough Love Advisors, a new age consultancy practice, along with six other partners. In this conversation, we're going to talk about the inception of Tough Love Advisors, as well as how can companies succeed in marketing and communications and the latest trends that are shaping the industry. So, Eddie and Kamal, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. I have to say that I've known both of you for over a decade, so I'm really, really excited uh, that, that you're here. Uh,
1: you, you have known us probably for more than two decades. Yeah, but you were very young. <laughs> I, was,
0: I, was, I was. Indeed, but it's so good to see you here. So why don't we just start with letting the, the, the audience uh, uh, learn a little bit about your backgrounds. Uh, you have achieved a lot, both of you. So maybe just some of the milestones up until the founding of uh, Tough Love Advisors.
1: Um, Landed in advertising by pure accident. I'm actually a science grad, did an MBA, worked for P&G's distributor, and then got hired by Leo Burnett, and ultimately spent 33 years doing Leo Burnett in a variety of positions, mostly leadership, uh, extensively throughout the Gulf, North America, Chicago, a brief stint in Canada, And for the past 23 years, I've been back in uh, the UAE, um, left December 2020, uh, used to double hat as the Chief Operating Officer for Publicis Communications and the Executive Regional Managing Director for Leo Burnett in the GCC, excluding Saudi. And here I am today uh, on a totally new Consistent with the theme of my life, Unexpected Journey
2: with Tough Love Advisors.
0: Okay, Eddie?
2: Well, not very different to Kamal, except a bit more stints than than Kamal, so less consistent. But uh, background photographer, for those who don't know, that's what I studied. So I started photography in Spain, ended up in advertising by pure coincidence. Uh, was given the role of an account executive. Took me six months to realize it was not a financial job, despite the fact that the word account was sitting in there. I was expecting numbers, they didn't happen for six months. Somebody explained to me that it wasn't. Anyway, I spent first couple of years in uh, Dubai with Grey advertising, then moved to the client side. Nokia was my client, so before Nokia started growing, I joined a six team set up in Jabal Ali in the late 90s, and started my journey with Nokia for about 10, 11 years, mm-hmm. roughly, so I ended up, uh, started in marketing, did a couple of jobs last uh, four years, I was uh, leading the region for MENA, and then the last two years before I left, I was doing the role of uh, CMO for Middle East and Africa. <clears throat> set up my own company in shop or marketing, there was a need at the time, so I thought, you know, let me skip getting on planes and sleeping out of suitcases. So, you know, or we'll call it midlife crisis if mm-hmm. you want. Set up my own company for five years, uh, exited that, came back did some voluntary work for startups, helping startups uh, just to keep you know myself up to speed with things. And then I decided to get into the food business. So I did three years in food manufacturing, FMCG in general, learned a lot, did not like it, wasn't my thing, but hey, I did learn a lot. And today I'm here with Tough Love Advisors, another chapter in my life.
0: Okay, so you spoke about midlife crisis. Uh, so you. Um, so I guess that was a while back, right? It's probably still
2: going on. still, still going talking. on. <laughs>
0: We oh, asked okay. my
2: wife. It's probably still going on, but I
0: believe it's not. So you went and you decided, along with six other people, right? So it's eight of you in Tough Love Advisors. Yes. Six other equally um, accomplished uh, people, and you decided, let's, let's do this, right? So how, how was that experience, uh, or how did it come to be? Let's, let's start with that. Um, I think, like with
1: all things, it starts small, and it starts as a thought, Uh, And that thought is followed by a conversation. And that conversation expands. And suddenly, before you know it, you look in the rearview mirror, you realize that that initial conversation was actually the nucleus of something that is promising and something that is worthwhile paying attention to, putting energy behind, and if required, putting money behind. Totally unexpected.
0: So, what are what are some of the misconceptions that you you are facing at the moment? So, you you know you 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 all come from very successful careers, right? And all of a sudden you're on your own. There's no big kind of brand or company behind you, and you or go out in net. the huh or, or safety. Safety net. And you go out in the market. You meet with your friends, probably uh, ex colleagues, and so on. So how how has it been?
2: Uh, I think the the power of the network, the product is the people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So let's be very clear, you know, we don't we don't flash business cards that make sense to people, but we flash, you know, names of people that make sense to other people. So I think from that perspective, it's something that I've never done before. The peer-to-peer approach is something which to me has always been, culturally speaking, and from a corporate culture perspective, has always been something that I've missed. Because everywhere, most of everywhere I've been, minus the company that I've set up, I've tried a lot to bring peer-to-peer discussions, you know, wiping off the, the hierarchy, wiping off the intimidation factor that is not necessarily purposeful, but that sometimes comes to life purely because, you know, he ranks me with 10 years or he ranks me with two job grades or, you know, and in that context, I think Tough Love Advisors, between us and when we talk to our network and the way we actually operate, that peer-to-peer to me, I think is, I don't wanna say unprecedented is probably a big word, but it's something that is unprecedented to me, doing business purely relying on the fact that it's peer-to-peer. We've
0: so you're being welcomed with open arms or has it been, uh, going back to the you o- know, question, arms, has it been a challenge or? or? It's a challenge.
2: It's a challenge, I think, and in, in like in any startup business, it would be a challenge. You would know more than anybody else. Uh, I think it is a bit more tough, no pun intended. Yeah. It is tougher than what we thought it would be, not in terms of oh, the welcoming part, but in terms of getting the traction at the speed required. Yeah. I, I would say that uh, what's
1: interesting, you, you have to see, first of all, beyond the compliments. because. Yeah. Our immediate circle is uh, people who have uh, affection for us, who have seen us at work and hold us in a certain regard, and think that, uh, and constantly repeat, at least to me, that you know uh, we're not going to worry about you. But the reality is you feel like a duck, you know, paddling furiously underneath the surface, but exuding outside calm above it. So you need to be able to see beyond that because their high regard of you and the way your road looks in the background um, may have very little to do with the road ahead, so that's number one. Number two, uh, it really makes you take a very hard look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, how good are you? Because you today have to sell yourself and get accepted on the merit of the ideas you bring to potential clients not because, as Eddie was saying, of the label you carried or the brand name you have. Brand name-wise, it's just been born, still in its infancy, probably in diapers. Um, but the experience that you have and the know-how are not. And then, as Eddie was saying, in a peer-to-peer approach, you have a beautiful test of how good this idea is, and then. Is it worth that the client trusts you with their time, with their challenges, and more importantly, with their money?
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting. As, a, as, an, as an entrepreneur, I think there are, there are two things that, that I've learned, at least along the way, is that, first of all, you have to be okay with going out, potentially with a product that's maybe not as good as you'd like it. Uh, you know, initially, when I started this podcast, it wasn't as great as I, I would have Wanted it to be, but you know, I only had limited resources, and I had to be okay with it. And I think most people don't take that jump because they're not okay with that, because they don't want to. You know, they have an image that they want to that they want to keep. I think the other the other thing that was a great learning experience for me is is dealing with rejection. Um, I went out to a lot of people that I knew from my network when I was uh, fundraising, for example. And as you as you alluded to, Kamal, you say. You know uh, the congratulations are many, but the support is uh, is you know is a completely different story so I think that's a that's a great point and and I think it's very humbling to to uh, to deal with rejection without really impacting you know your your self worth or how you see yourself
1: it's um one way to really stay young, believe it or not, and I know what I'm talking about because I'm no spring chicken, as I'm sure you can appreciate. <laughs> uh, but the maintaining a high level of energy and productivity matters a great deal to me. And essentially, uh, you are being forced to come to terms with what your strengths are and feeling comfortable to lean into them. But then again, have a hard look in the mirror and say, right, if i want to succeed and if i want to have the kind of impact i desire to here are areas i need to strengthen and then there are no shortcuts you want to strengthen them you have to do what uh, you know miyagi san told daniel san you know wax in wax out over and over and over and not get tired from repeating until you get the quality of your product as you were correctly pointing out to move forward and to be something you are happy with.
0: Are we ready as a region for tough love? Um, I think it's, you know, uh, (laughs) we're not not a culture, I think, Mm. that uh, takes feedback. uh, I'll tell you what we are ready for.
1: Um, Don't forget we're coming out of COVID and COVID isn't over by any stretch of the imagination. We are hungry and ready for growth. And when you are, more desperate to resume growth or to achieve it and to make ends meet and to build, you become much more open. Does that mean that compared with pre-COVID we're 100% ready? i argue probably not. Mm -hmm. But when you see that there is opportunity to be made and capitalized on, I think you become a little bit more open-minded. And our initial conversations so far support it. But let's continue this conversation in about a year's time and see where we're
2: at. I mean, to add, if you label it as, is the industry ready for some tough love, Mm -hmm. uh, you're probably putting a bit of a bias. I think the question to be asked today, and we're labeling it as tough love, but the question to be asked today is, is the industry ready for practitioners' insight and support for co-creating solutions in the market? The answer is yes. Now, if the delivery is through tough love or the delivery is through any other means, you put a label on it my label is tough love because we bring it as it is like we just discussed but i think the industry is ready the economy locally in the region is being driven by smes by family businesses who have the strong power financially and otherwise to actually grow businesses and they're looking up to multinationals that have done it across 180 countries and they're saying can i do it in 60 countries can i do it in 12 countries can i do it in six countries and they need the help and today in the market, what is widely available is a lot of best practice, a lot of theories that are happening. And then you need to actually take these and then make some sense out of them. Versus you can get somebody who's been there, done that, somebody who has practiced similar uh, situations or similar solutions to sit and co-create with you. And I think this is where the industry, I say, is very ready.
0: So you touched on, uh, you touched on a few important things. So one of them, uh, Kamal, you spoke about brand building. Uh, and and you touched on I think culture a little bit because you said you know sometimes you want to hire the best people but you're not ready uh, potentially internally and what you're s- proposing is that someone like uh, a company like Tough Advisors can kind of bridge that gap right that's what you're saying so so. Um, so let's talk a little bit about brand building. If you are if you are a company that's trying to set up a new brand, if you are a big established company that's trying to pivot its image uh, or launch new products, is there is there a specific approach that um, basically that you recommend uh, for them? And 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 one more thing to that is how does culture tie into brand building?
2: I think the industry today, and not only regionally but even globally to an extent is struggling with keeping brands up to speed with expectations. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Makes me very young. That's (laughs) nice. So I grew up in the 80s 80s, and the 90s.
0: 80s, 90s, that doesn't make you very old.
2: I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I was not born in the 80s and 90s. But I grew up in the 80s (laughs) and 90s where brands were like cults. Uh You know, nothing would make me switch my, you know, football shoes. I'm X brand, and I will stick to it whether it blows out of my feet. It does, and it doesn't matter. My brand is my brand. Today, we're driven by, and I'm going to simplify it for the sake of the answer. You know, ratings online. Mm-hmm. If somebody says it's not good, it's not good. If somebody says it's brilliant, it's brilliant. If many do say that, that even better. So, where is the role of the brand in keeping up with that? To me, this is the big question that is asked, and I think. It automatically turns the focus to: Are we keeping track with what consumers are doing? What their expectations is? What stories are we telling? How are we engaging with with the uh, uh, you know with with our consumer level and stuff like that? You know, simple things like CRMs or or well, let's not go into that. But you know, to to me, you talk about customer relationship management, right? Consumer relationship management, or whatever you want to call it. T- today, it's about total relationship management. It's no longer about the cons- about the entire stream, and brand is just one part of it when it used to be the biggest part. Today, it's just one part that needs to keep up with the entire, uh, what do you call it, cycle, right? In, 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 in my perspective. So from, from that perspective, I think the struggle, in short, is are we keeping up with what that journey of expectations is on all levels, brand being one of them. Some are, some clearly are not. Uh, some still believe that the equity of the brand can take them, you know, like it used to take them in the 80s and the 90s. I don't believe that is true today. I think a brand can be born in one day and can be torn out in one day as well. So that is my, my view. Now on the building front, I'll let, I'll let Kamal give us his point of view. It's interesting how
1: often people lose sight of the fundamentals. And I think uh, this is particularly true when it comes to brands and brand building. When you think about it, the fundamentals are immutable. I mean, it's like the laws of physics. There's something called gravity in physics, okay? You want to overpower it? There are ways. remain alert because the minute whatever system you have in place malfunctions, gravity is going to say, hello, I'm here, and you are going to feel it. And depending on how high you are, you will feel it probably a little bit more. Um, When you think about some of the brands that have left a big impression on you and that you would uh, never betray and always seek and prepare to pay the premiums they ask of you, You do that for some very basic fundamentals. Uh, First of all, they are solving a problem or a need that you need solved. And they're solving it probably in a way no other brand does. And even when there is parity at a uh, functional level, you go to them and gravitate to them because they align better with you. Speaking of culture. So these were the brands that we grew up with, were products of organizations with very distinct cultures and value systems, and when you think about it, we aligned with these companies without giving it much, uh, giving that much thought, and then we were, we uh, used the brands and stuck with them. So there is a component also of two-way loyalty. These brands were loyal to you. These brands cared about you as a human being, as a customer, not a consumer. Consumers suggest that there is a transactional relationship, there is a transactional one-night stand, no matter how frequently it is repeated, okay? But there is no commitment. When you become a customer, when you become a human being that they are looking at and solving a problem for, and doing it in a manner that is relevant and timely, without imposing themselves on you. Your regard and affinity, affection to that brand grow. And a brand that is mindful of that, that is consistent with itself, that maintains sustainable relationships. Sustainability is not only a concept that is applicable to the environment, but to everything else that we touch and and, and use and do. And that means stakeholder relationships internally, relationships with employees. So we, uh, some of these new age companies, were thrilled with the kind of service and convenience they provide us. And we're horrified when we read about how they treat their, their employees, you know, and you are conflicted. And that conflict is eroding the brand's value and it's taking away from that. Ultimately, the concepts and notions of brand building fundamentally are not changed. The tools, techniques, avenues available, speed with which you can accelerate the building process or creating awareness, as Eddie uh, was saying, find a relevant moment in time, and yes, you can build a following almost instantaneously. And if you think that is fast, wait till you break the covenant that you have with your customers and you'll see how quickly they will abandon you so stick to the fundamentals is what i would say
0: so eddie touch on something as well which is the the rating basically the all the popularity of the brand so i think it's it's interesting i mean what what you said kamal is that you you connect with the brand on a different level as a customer so i try to think of brands i love for example and i love nike for example as a brand and, it's not really about the shoes, right? It's, it's about just do it. It's about the attitude. Uh, and I think there's a lot of um, expectations today on on brands to stand for, for something. Maybe not so much in, in our part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also spoke about popularity. So I'm sure you've come across, uh, you know, influencers and that whole kind of... Uh, uh, area a lot of companies are seriously looking at engaging uh, with influencers and and some would argue that the, the return on investment is is, is very good so mm. how do you navigate um, this because it's so um, I don't know I think there's just a fine line where where you can get value out of that person and whatever they end up doing maybe on a personal level might end up reflecting very badly on your brand
2: well, here's an interesting twist just as an anecdote. Uh, Lulu, I think uh, worth putting in context here. Okay. You know, I've come from a school where we used to pay a lot of money for product placement mm-hmm. into movies, into today, into games, into other stuff. At the time, it was in, you know, in the Hollywoods and Bollywoods of this world, you know, make sure that you've got a product in there. And I've come from an industry that did a lot of that, uh, product placement. And today, you look at it and you think, what has changed well, 20 years ago, your influencer was the brand, like Kamal said. You know, you follow that brand, you follow that brand. As long as the brand stuck to the rules, you know, did not defy or try to fight against gravity, as Kamal put it, you know, you were after that brand, no questions asked. And equity of that brand could give you a lot of elasticity with the brand, right? Today, we've shifted to, people's, uh, to people as influencers. I, I think we
1: live in extremely, uh, not only interesting times, but... Uh, polarizing times, Mm -hmm. and influence is playing a huge role. You see, people will follow opposite sides of a proposition because either of a connection, trust, or some sort of affinity with the major influencer. And that applies to brands, that applies to personal relationships, that applies to corporate culture in the same way it applies to influencers as a marketing tool. I think trust is going to be a key component in that and authenticity, okay? If you put these two uh, dimensions, they tend to represent whether you're able to align with a particular point of view or not, and that puts everybody sort of uh, so to speak under the spotlight because the minute you are out of lockstep with whatever you represent your ability to influence will diminish dramatically and we saw it in recent elections yeah we also see it with brands so a lot of brands are paying influencers So, in a sense, you're buying some sort of ability to influence. To channel. Yeah. Except that increasingly, uh, influencers are starting to make calls based on whether or not they align with certain brands. And that takes us back to culture, to what these brands stand for, how their purpose lines up and whether these influencers are prepared to stake their own refutations with these brands or not. So, I think that there is no denying the role of influencers going uh, forward and has been going for some time. Uh, It's fascinating how The tables have been turned and what a major upheaval the entire universe of marketing and brands is going through. But it'll be interesting to see the sustainability of the influencing, offering, and and platform in itself. How long can you trust? How fragile is that trust? What happens when it's broken? Between customer and influencer and between influencer and and brand wow. and marketing company.
0: Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the the role of marketing then. Okay, so when you tell me marketing, like my my thinking is, you know, someone who um, does kind of a very sort of manual uh, type of job. Maybe the the role is um, not as big, maybe as as people may mm-hmm. want it to be. Uh, it's it's quite narrow. It's mostly. Uh, managing communications, maybe agencies. Um, I don't know how much uh, cross-section usually there is between or intersection between marketing and the other functions within the company. So what's the the role of the the marketing manager today? And has it changed, actually, as well?
2: Um, So, you know, I've spent, I would say, 60% of my career in marketing with a title that relates to marketing in one way or another. Um, Today, to answer the question, I think there is no set definition to that role of marketing and that applies to many other roles. Sales, for example, is being mixed between actual frontline sales and business development and expansion sales and channel and distribution and retail. So it it could be as wide or as narrow as the organization has set it to be, okay? Marketing, the same thing happens. Unfortunately, in my view, marketing today is not doing, in most of the cases, not doing what actually marketing is doing. So think of the four Ps, which are probably, you know, very passe today, but think of just the four Ps, you know, and let's name how many of the big marketeers here globally in Europe, wherever you want, are actually working on pricing strategies. Right?
0: Can you share the four P's for our audience? Uh-huh. Can you share the four P's for our audience?
2: The actual four P's? Yes. Since they're already dead and they've expanded to a lot more than the four P's. Yeah, I mean, we've got the price, the place, the promotion, and mm-hmm. product. product. So if you take all of these and you put them together, let's look at the place. Place is Where you actually sell, now you sell channels, and distribution, all of these things. Marketing is not getting involved today in these. Unfortunately, a lot of the marketing roles, and not all of them, but a lot of the marketing roles have been shrunk to focus only on brand management, communication, and advertising. Whereas, the role of marketing goes beyond that, way beyond that, not only in the textbook, but beyond that. Who defines the gap opportunity in the market? Salespeople sell. But you need to tell them what to sell, for how much to sell, where to sell, and uh, to whom to sell. Who's doing that role, right? That is a big question. In some organizations, uh, it's either done by multiples, it's either assumed or taken over, or it's either not done properly in, in, uh, in, uh, in other cases, or not done at all. And we just you know go out into the market, wrong pricing, Fix it as you go. So I think the role of the, the, the role of marketing, and there's a lot of talks everywhere. The role of marketing uh, globally, there's a lot of talks, a lot of chatter that is happening on what happens to the future CMO. And we are reading about it everywhere, and I think that is one of the reasons why. Because the definition of that role changes based on culture of the organization, if the organization is driven by a financial person who views marketing as a budget center or a cost center as opposed to a profit center, and so on and so forth. Marketeers who are against the fact that they they need to carry KPIs such as market share growth, uh, market value growth, uh, sales growth, bottom line profitability, all of these things are not there. Marketeers who oppose the fact that it's their job to design product portfolios and categorization and segmentations, all of these things, all of that. One thing is interesting as an insight. Uh, U.S. is driving that, and I've seen it now starting to appear in our region today. Is a new role called, uh, well, whatever the layer is, but it's basically a chief revenue officer role. And that is now starting to merge. In the U.S., it is everywhere now. And that is a role that has been created because of the issues that I just listed that actually bridges the top between marketing and sales, which is the, you know, the Cold War that has been happening for the past, I don't know century, maybe, you know, marketing and sales. I make the money, you spend the money and that attitude. This now has converged into a role called chief revenue officer. It's not a financial role. It's a role that actually looks at the sanity of the offering, the market, the potential in the market, the pricing, the actual um, margins that we're working with, the variety of the portfolio introduction of products and geogra- geographies and stuff like that. So, that is a new role that is emerging to resolve, to resolve that issue. In the U.S., a lot of these roles are being filled up by marketeers, some others by business development and salespeople as well, but a lot of them by marketeers who have come into into, into that role. So, to me, the definition of the role of marketeer is not very clear, and I think it is driven by expectations or uh, company or organizational cultures in terms of what, what they want uh, from, from that role. But I think, factually, I don't think many of the marketeers are doing what marketing should be doing today.
1: There is um, something fascinatingly interesting about marketing. Uh, To start with, modern-day marketing was born right after World War II, when there was so much pent-up demand as a result of all industry focusing on manufacturing weapons. And then that industry started shifting back. And uh, companies uh, had a challenge of how to make sure to for supply to meet demand. And modern day marketing was born. And in the beginning, as Eddie alluded, when you think about it, marketing focused on mostly communication. And yes, there were the, f- the four pillars of the four Ps. That equation continued in place, in my opinion, all the way until 2010. I'll expand on why. What's interesting about marketing is that it was the only function at the in the C-suite that did not have hardcore metrics. So there were always alibis and proxies. But manufacturing could tell you about improved efficiency, you know. They had the figures to prove it. Finance, similarly. Uh, You name it. Logistics, similarly. Marketing couldn't because it was a soft area of practice and never developed the metrics. But for as long as the markets were growing, as expansion was happening, whether domestically or globally, that was a non-issue. Interestingly, I came across a study done by Interbrand, which uh, based on comparing uh, net worth and value of publicly traded companies, that study found that um, 67 to 93% of a net worth of of the value of a company, of a market capitalization, resides in the intangibles which is marketing and communications, because that's where equity is built and reputation. That came to a grinding halt in the wake of the subprime and the financial crash of 2008 and 2010. If you remember, what happened then is the sudden rise of procurement. And suddenly, the CMO and the entire marketing team were on the defensive, having to prove why such budgets were necessary, why activities were needed, why you needed to spend and invest in marketing. And they didn't have the direct metrics to do that. I think in the past 12 years, particularly now with the rise of digital and its pervasiveness, what's interesting is that 70% of the money marketing spends is on platforms where there is ROI. So suddenly, the CMO is spending uh, 70 cents to every dollar where the CMO is able to measure. I think the pendulum is switching, is turning back. But you're right. This happens at a time when you have an explosion in MarTech. You know, there are something like 8,000 companies that do MarTech. Uh, And that CMOs and marketing uh, professionals need to figure out what do I use, what do I need, uh, I can't afford all of them. Uh, Indeed, a lot of transformation is happening, a lot of change is happening. Anybody who wants a stable uh, job and uh, the shelter of continuousness and constancy, marketing is not the place to go. Because this is highly dynamic, it's evolving as we talk. As things shift, as new tools become available, the CMOs would need to uh, evolve, develop, and be agile. So yeah, I think that this move towards uh, Chief Revenue Officer is, in my view, a great thing. Because ultimately, marketing should own the relationship with the customer. And if you think about your relationship with the customer, you think about the DNA of a company. And that traces to everything, traces to culture, traces to relationships with stakeholders, traces to what kind of people you hire, what's, the, uh, what's your, you would have influence on the training program because you ultimately have to worry about the people who have to develop the products, who interact with the customers. I think it's con- going to continue to be an exciting job, but it is not a ride for the faint of heart. Yeah.
0: Just to build on that, uh, since you're talking about the need to measure uh, in marketing, so Mm -hmm. I guess social media, did the marketing function uh, a favor in a way? I mean, you can, you know, you are able to measure quite effectively what's happening, for example, on channels. In my view,
2: it's it's, uh, a mix of many things. Obviously, the fact that digital media has allowed... Marketing to quantitatively measure is one thing, but I think with all due respect, half of the equation is resolved. When you start talking to upper management, the leadership level, they're not interested in engagement numbers. They probably don't even know what they mean. How can I translate engagement numbers and the question they ask you, where do I cash it? They're interested in conversion numbers. But
0: yes, you can and track conversions.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And they're interested in ultimate sales numbers. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a dancing act that is happening. Marketing not willing to take over sales numbers and growth and sales because I'm not a salesman. Okay. And on the other side, we're being pushed on or, or, or handed over, say, hey, You know, profitability, market share growth, sales, all of these things need to be. And I agree, and I think they need to be. And I agree with Kamal, the pendulum is swinging. And at some stage, marketing's responsibility needs to expand, if ownership to customers has to come, needs to expand towards measuring post-conversion and saying, hey, how much sales am I getting? You started by defining the opportunity, you hypothetically defined the product, you priced the product, you launched that product and communicated, you did everything, and then you handed over that toolkit to the salespeople to go out and start pushing it into the market, which is a purely executional exercise. If that formula is correct, then that entire chain needs to work so you are equally responsible for the outcome at the end of the chain, even though you're not handing it over across the counter. It doesn't matter. You need to be responsible for that. I think this is where it becomes more quantitative, and of course, digital media has helped in that. Uh, from that perspective, yes, no doubt. But look at Martech today and the way Martech is moving and all the SaaS programs are coming to life, CPaaS programs are coming to life, all of these things, the whole automation that is, that is, that is coming mm-hmm. to place allows you to track every single, not dollar, but every single action that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, I go to interviews, I went to a couple of interviews, again, another anecdote for you, Lulu, where I was asked if you had all the money in the world what would you do with brand X for market Y? And I think it's the wrong question to ask. You know, because that takes us back to 1980s question of, you know, which 50% of my budget is wasted, right? That's the the industry standard. 50% of my budget is wasted, but which 50%? Nobody knows. I think the question to ask is if you had $1, where would you spend it today? That is the question to ask, to see where does it make the most sense for us? I think this is the real question today.
0: What do you think about social media, though? I mean, it has been, uh, I think it has changed things in a way. So, Kamal, I mean, even from an agency uh, point of view, right, before you used to get big brands, they would come to Leo Burnett or Impact or or all of the the big agencies and they would spend a lot of money on on developing these campaigns and and then where, obviously, what are the channels that they're going to use and now... We see a lot of user-generated content. We see, you know, a guy in a house on on YouTube, you know, with uh, millions and millions of views. We see uh, kids unpacking uh, toys, uh, you know, with billions of views. So um, how has that shifted um, the the landscape?
1: I would say it has... uh upended the entire ecosystem. Uh, Like all innovation, it has its pros and cons. First of all, it is wonderful to see the death of the time when the only voice was the voice of the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful to see that power has mutated. And it's great to hear people speak back to brands and engage and say, This is what we like and this is what we don't like. I think these are not only brilliant from an evolutionary point of view, but they provide incredible, accurate, from the horse's mouth kind of feedback that brands would kill for and pay hundreds of thousands, if not more, of dollars in research to try and understand. Whereas now you've got the consumer telling it or the customer telling it to you, point blank. So this thing is is great. It is wonderful because it gave rise to new communities. Uh, You know, humanity by design is social. So here are multiple planes that we can exist on and connect with one another and find uh, uh, things in common beyond geographical uh, boundaries. it is a wonderful instrument of democratization and spreading. But in the same way, uh, you find that uh, um, there is, organic life by nature is messy. Okay? I think social media is a mirror image of organic life and it's messy. Uh, it requires some rules of engagement, it requires codes of conduct, it requires some form of arbiter to make sure that individual privacy and rights are protected and today it's like uh, the wild wild west in its early days where everybody can take a shot at everybody else and there is very little accountability beyond what we see in certain countries of the world where the state can have a heavy-handed approach and decide what the rule of law Uh, so These are the pros and cons of it, and we're just going to be fascinated along the way forward. Uh, What has it done? I think it has exploded talent. It has told us that uh, the way that certain organizations positioned themselves or were positioned over the decades as the arbiters of what is good quality or not is not necessarily true. The public knows. The public may not necessarily appreciate what gets manufactured, but it has a point of view on what is what it likes and what it doesn't like. And I think in that regard, uh, we need to accept this reality because accept it or not, it's present. And then it becomes a question for organizations of, how do you evolve? Uh, how How do you cater for it? Does the organization, can the organization remain the way it has been originally born to be. And if not, and chances are it's not, because the model was designed to cater to something else, which was the days of the TV advertising complex where you know communication was one way, it was broadcast, and you put a structure in order to, you put a machine to cater for it, and now you no longer need that. Um, And the other consideration beyond the structure of the organization, how you pack the skill sets and how you redesign the manufacturing process of the creative product becomes the question of people. Because today, while organizations try to figure this new equation, they're doing it at the expense of people. People are being overworked. It has ramifications on mental health. And what organizations tend to do is uh, give you more and more online video training sessions to look at and pay lip service to it, while meantime, a lot of people are suffering as uh, as this equation, new equation, gets figured out, and you also get a contribution to the great resignation. So we are at a point in time, we are at an intersection where um, a new order needs to be born, quite honestly, and I don't think anybody has the answer yet.
0: Great answer. Um, I'm just thinking while you're while you're speaking. You know, is it is it um, you know? There's a saying: is if you judge a, you know a fish by its ability to climb a tree. Is it is it that we need different skills? Are, are you trying maybe to to get the same people to do something completely different? Is that is that what it is, or it's a business model?
1: It's a great question. I'll I'll tell you one thing. Um, Your viewers may be interested that I started my journey in communication in 1985. So I've been around during the days when most of what we did was actually audiovisual and we called it TV ads. Um, And today, obviously, it's dramatically different. Um, But back in the day, what a lot of people probably have lost sight of is that ad agencies were highly entrepreneurial platforms driven by people with vision, with ideas, who paid extreme attention and spent a lot of time developing their skill sets and craft. So that was the time and the age of craftsmen and women, right? Fast forward to 2020, there isn't probably all the major ad agencies that were, uh, that uh, gave us some of the most remarkable Uh, pieces of communication work that stayed with us and that generations grew up with, all of them are now publicly traded. What does that mean? That means there is a bottom line um, dynamic that previously did not exist. I'll give you one beautiful example through which I lived. Leo Burnett. And Leo Burnett, the founder, is famous for having said a number of things. One of the things he said, Look after the advertising and the business will look after itself. What does that mean? Every single person working in the organization of Leo Burnett, and they count, you know, they amounted to about something like 8,000 individuals before the company was uh, uh, bought. Every single one of them was focused on the product. Nobody was focused on the bottom line and on the money. How do you develop a good quality piece of communication? And there would be fierce debates. People would, you know, get hot under the collar. Why? In defense of creativity. And today, the conversation about that is rarely had. The hallways, meeting rooms, are often about bottom line, how we're doing. I tell you, maybe people can work long hours, and I certainly have worked more than my fair share of long hours, but there are only 24 hours in a day and there is limited amount of energy. You need to decide where you spend it. So, long-winded way to tell you that leaders of organizations are really struggling, if you ask me. They have to cater for carved in stone objectives and at the same time, they need to try and construct the airplane as the airplane is flying. How do you do that? I don't know, but One thing is certain is falling apart, as people holding the different pieces and bits of it together to prevent it from collapsing. No birth is unmessy, And today we stand at the intersection of great birth in that industry. I think it's going to be really messy.
2: I have nothing to
0: add.
2: (laughs) Kamala said it all, I. Very well as uh, well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Spot on. Well,
0: thank you so much. Uh, everybody who's watching can check your website, toughloveadvisors.com. It was such a pleasure, really, to have you both. I really enjoyed this. I uh, learned a lot. Thank you. Thank,
2: thank you. you. A lot, Lulu. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Conversations with Lulu. If you want to know more about Tough Love Advisors, you can visit toughloveadvisors.com. Don't forget to check out the show's website, conversationswithlulu.com and you can also follow me on all social channels at Lulu Chazen. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcast to get the latest episodes. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love to hear from you and please do leave us a review. See you in a few weeks and until then, lots of love and life. Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's capital.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.